Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. So over the past couple months, we've been looking at this um, writing of Matthew, a disciple of Jesus, a Jewish man, who we'll see in a few weeks, a Jewish man who is writing to a Jewish audience about a Jewish Messiah. And Jesus comes on the scene, and as we've seen coming through this, we've seen the lineage of birth, forerunner and such. But Jesus comes on the scene after he's been um, tested, troubled, tried, tempted, whatever, however you want to, to bring that, by Satan in the wilderness for 40 days, right? He comes and he begins his earthly ministry, and he begins with his proclamation of repent. In the Greek, the word chosen is metanoia, change the way you think. Repent, for the kingdom of God has drawn near. Okay, the kingdom of the heavens has drawn near. Okay, the point again in the perfect is that it already has come. It's already here. Where the king is, so is his kingdom. And so Jesus then, on the heels of, of ask, calling them to repent and to change the way they think, he then turns to some fishermen and he tells them to follow me and I will make you, make you fishers of men. So we know that Peter and Andrew, James and John left their nets, left their fathers, and they followed Jesus. From there then, we, be, we are introduced to the teachings of Christ, okay? That he carries on then this ministry, this message that's consistent with, and in, in, uh, kind of breaking out, if you would, repent, change the way you think. That's the core of Jesus' teaching. It was the core of John's teaching. It was the core of the prophets before them's teaching. Change the way you think. Because if you change the way you think, you'll ultimately change the way you act. You can change the way you act, but it's just a reformation. God wants a transformation. Change the way you think. So Jesus then begins what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. He goes into this teaching... Okay, And he begins to reveal to them the standard of the kingdom. And he begins to reveal to them that the way, the standard, the way you think in a kingdom manner is different than the way the world thinks. The standard of the kingdom is different than the standard of the world. The world wants you to be, have power and prestige and, and money, but not so necessarily in the kingdom of God. So Jesus said, blessed are the what? Poor in spirit, for they shall be what? Help me out. Remember? I was going to say they should be filled, but that's the wrong one. They shall see God. Okay? Blessed are you when you are persecuted for my namesake. Right? And so he continues on through this process of, of showing us a different standard than a higher standard. We're going to come back to this in a moment, so I want to slide through this. A higher standard. And then he says it's the definitive standard where there's no middle ground. In all that, he gets to this practical section where he tells them then that the standard is not just different, higher, definitive, but it's also practical. And we begin to see him wanting us to have this discernment. He starts off by telling us to, um, to judge not, lest you be judged. He begins to talk about our insights, a nice word of saying our what? Our opinions, okay, our judgments, okay, of others. 
And then he, last week we looked at discernment concerning our path. And two sides of that path is not just the way I'm walking, but also those who I'm allowing to be my instructors and teachers. Today, we're going to look at those last couple of verses. Very familiar passage about the, the wise man and the foolish man. Okay? But note what Jesus says right off the bat to them in the beginning of this passage when he's talking about their foundation. We see that he begins with the synopsis of all this teaching. This is really kind of interesting because he's breaking out in this whole thing. He's breaking out what does it mean to think differently, right? And so now he's going to come and he's going to sum up all this together in one shot. And he says, therefore, right? Therefore, therefore what? Whoever has, come on, Chuck just read it. Therefore what? Whoever has not heard my words, okay, but these sayings of mine, okay, who have these sayings of mine, who have heard these sayings of mine. So what's the question we should ask ourselves? What sayings? Okay, well, we just went through those, right? Chapter 5, blessed are, right? You are the sight and salt and light of the world. I didn't come to destroy the law, but I came to fulfill it. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will by no means enter into the kingdom of heaven. You've heard it said, but I say unto you, therefore you shall be what? Perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's exactly right. Yeah, good. Okay? That's exactly right. So we go through those. That's when Jesus was telling us that the the kingdom standard was different, that the kingdom standard was what? It was higher. We can't get it. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisee. So this is all this thing. He says, therefore, whoever has these sayings of mine, these are my sayings. And then he goes into the fact that it's a definitive standard. When you give, when you pray, when you fast, don't do it like the world does it. Right? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you're looking for the applause of men, you have your reward. If you're looking for the treasure of men, you have your reward. Seek first, rather, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, okay? So that we live in the world, we have worldly stuff, but there's still this going to be this, this way or this way. Change the way you think. You're either following the way of the world or you're following the way of God. That's exactly what Jesus is saying the whole way through here, right? And then he gets into chapter 7, which we've already seen. Judge not, lest you be what? Judge. Now, is he saying that I shouldn't have any assessment at all? That I shouldn't have any discernment at all? No, rather the totally opposite of it. Rather, he's telling me to have proper discernment. But to not discern like the world discerns, because the world thinks that their opinion is always what? Right. But it's not always right. But rather to discern according to the kingdom standards. And rather when you have an opinion, an insight, look in the mirror, if you would, of your soul, and to consider whether you have actually a beam in your own eye. Jesus doesn't tell us actually to consider whether we have a beam. He said what? You have a beam. Okay? You know, we like to what? Give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. Maybe we don't have the beam. But Jesus said what? First cast the beam out of your own eye. Then you'll be able to see, clearly, to be able to help your brother, your sister, your wife, your husband, your kid, your workmate, put whatever else in there you want to, with the speck that's in their own eye. Jesus said, take this, figure it out, right? That he doesn't necessarily want us not to be involved 
in somebody else's life, but he wants us to be involved in their lives in a kingdom way. First, taking care of our own problems. And then, if you're, needing, if you're struggling and you need help with that, and we all will, right? What should you do? Ask, seek, knock. Ask, and it will be given unto you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be opened unto you. That's not name it, claim it. That's all about if you need help discerning your own problems and then how to help somebody else. That's the context of that. And then he goes on, then from there, because he says right at the end, he says, therefore, you shall treat others as you want them to, to treat you, right? The golden rule. And then he goes on and talks about, then, the path that you choose. Enter in at the, the narrow gate. Because wide is the gate that leads to destruction. Broad is its path. And many there are that what? Go there. It's a very popular place. It's very inclusive. That doesn't like inclusivity. That's fun. Isn't that fun? Yeah. It's kind of like, whoa, you know, let's get our attention. That's kind of cool. I wonder if the battery's dying on it. That doesn't make any sense. That's kind of weird. Um, so how fun is that? Spiritual wars. Anyways, I'm just glad that didn't happen at Good News Club, huh? <laughs> the kids would really, I mean, we'd, we'd lost them. Um, where was that? Okay, the why. So in, in, inclusivity, okay? And, and, and it's an amazing thing. And so that br- path is what? It's broad, okay? A lot of space to the left or the right. You can go whichever way you want. The sad thing is that that pathway like that, who are the ones who are helping you along it? The false prophets, the false teachers. As we saw in Sunday school, the, even the good figs, that God was removing from Jerusalem, not necessarily that the figs themselves were good, but God calls the good figs, right? He's removing them from Jerusalem. He's sending them into Babylon. It's not necessarily the way that we would have looked at it, but that's the way God's doing it. And the ones that are staying in Jerusalem, he's saying are bad figs, right? But he talks to the, to the quote-unquote good figs. He talks to the captives who are being taken to Babylon, who are already there, and he says, look, don't listen to those false prophets. Already in Babylon... There were people who were teaching falsehood. Even though everything that God had already declared came true through Jeremiah and other true prophets, there were already rising up false prophets who were teaching falseness. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 is very clear. We read it, I think, last week. Anyways, Paul declares, he says, I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I'm fearful, just as Eve was deceived by the serpent in the wilderness, so you very well may be deceived, that someone may come in with another Jesus, another spirit, or another gospel, and you may very well receive it. You may very well accept it. Not everybody who comes in the name of Jesus... It's coming in my Jesus' name. Not everybody who says they got this power of the Spirit has got the power of the true Holy Spirit. Not everybody who's coming saying they got good news for you, that's what the word gospel means, really has the true gospel. There are deceivers. In fact, Jesus said in the end times that these deceivers, these false prophets, these false teachers are going to be able to work such marvelous works that if it was possible, even the very elect would be deceived. That's pretty impressive stuff. 
And so we have got to be mindful that as we look out in the world and you go to the Christian bookstore, not every book in the Christian bookstore is Christian. Not every Christian book, not every Christian teacher, quote-unquote, is teaching a kingdom standard, a kingdom mindset. Not every Christian counselor is giving biblical counseling. It's a name, Christian. You know, back in Antioch, where they were first called Christians, they didn't take that name to themselves. They were what? They were given that name because they were followers of the way. They were, follow- they were little Christs. They were living their life in such a way that everybody says, oh, you're a bunch of little Christs. If you didn't call yourself a Christian, would somebody else call you that? Is the path that you're walking such that somebody would look at you and go, well, you must be a Christian. Or would they not even know? Remember that narrow gate led to a straight or compressive, if you would, agonizing path. But the end of that agonizing path was what? It was life. The end of that broad path is destruction. Jesus then takes that and teaching, because he says, not everybody who comes to me in that day, saying, Lord, Lord, are going to get into heaven. Some are going to say to me, Lord, Lord, did I not cast out demons in your name? Did I not do all these wonderful works in your name? And I'm going to say what? Depart from me, you son of... What was it? The other one, two, three. Lawlessness. Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. Those who are 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 living that way, those who are the false teachers and the false prophets, Jesus categorizes them as lawless ones. Now, I know I'm not under the law anymore. I'm under the new covenant. But can anybody tell me what the new covenant is? If you're a part of it, you should know it, right? Jesus died for it. He said, this blood is the, is, is the blood of the what? New covenant. What's the new covenant say? Where is it even at? Jeremiah. Okay, we got a book. Jeremiah. 31. All right, Chuck, read it out loud for us. Are you there? Okay, good job. So, am I under the law? No. But what's my relationship to the law? It ought to be where? In my heart and in my mind. It ought to be governing me. It ought to be changing the way I think. Get it? I'm not operating under fear. Jesus in the, in the, in the, uh, in the police car with the blue lights on it is waiting... 
for me to break that speed limit so he can pull me over. That's not it. Now I read his word. I hear his words. I love his words. His words are life to me. Not what? Not death. I choose the narrow gate, which may seem very unappealing at times, but I know that I continue on and I persevere. Great verse. I thought it was really exciting, actually. He chooses the verse before and you choose the verse after, Tammy, of chapter 11. It was all about the faith, right? But you talk about the perseverance that's going into the faith. And so, Tammy, you were being burdened about the next verse afterwards that says that now you've got to continue to persevere, right? Because you're looking at the greater cloud of witnesses. Persevere, persevere, persevere. So I choose to what? Persevere. By what? By faith on that narrow path. Jesus says, Therefore, whoever takes these sayings of mine, and then he gives the crux of the matter in his analogy here, who obeys them. Whoever hears these words, and then what? Does them. Or, ultimately, doesn't do them. So, I'm going to turn lights off on you, okay? Because the teaching is going to be a lot better with the lights off. Because I want you to be in darkness rather than light. No, no, anyways. <laughs> You'll see in a moment. So, we have this, this synopsis of his teaching. And he gives us this crux between an illustration that he's going to bring. He's going to take all this stuff that he's just taught us, and he's going to give us an illustration. And you guys who have been with me in Canada, you will like the illustration. Oh, I'm sorry. Two verses first. James 1, 22, 25, my life verse. Marsha and I, when we first were saved, um, God put it on his heart. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. For so many years, I knew God's word. I knew Jesus died on the cross. I knew that he was buried. I knew that he was raised from the dead. I could quote you the books in the Bible, but I didn't know him. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving everybody else. Deceiving God. Is that what it says? No, it's not what it says. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own self. Nobody else is deceiving you. You're deceiving yourself. And you're not deceiving anybody else. You're only deceiving yourself. How bad is that? Nobody else is doing it. You can't say the devil made me do it, honey. That was Geraldine. It doesn't apply to you. Nobody else is deceiving you. And you're not deceiving anybody else. You're only deceiving yourself. But he who looks into the perfect law and continues therein, being not a forgetful hearer, but a what? Doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. You have the the hearer only, and you have the what? Doer of the word. Okay? Again, we have then in 1 Corinthians 3, where uh, Paul uses the illustration of the building where he jumped jumped down in verse 11, he says, No other foundation can anyone lay than that which has been laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will what? Become clear, for the day will declare it. Whatever you're building, Jesus starts talking about this foundation. And he basically says, whatever foundation you're using, there's going to come a day when what? It's going to be revealed. It may be here on the earth, it may be later, but the reality is, probably here on the earth, somewhere along the line, you get this, troublesome times are going to come, right? And it's going to reveal what your foundation really is. So, first Jesus talks about 
the man who builds his house upon the what? The rock. He's the one who hears Jesus' sayings and what? He does them. He says, so this one who hears my sayings and he does them, I will liken him to a man who builds his house upon a rock. The winds come, the rains come. Storm rages. In the house on the rock, you know kids, wait, 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 kids, in the house on the rock, Kids, John, I know, I know you still have a... Was it Andrew? Was it really? Oh, deep voice. Mm. He's a kid. He's a kid. He's still a kid, but boy, that deep voice is gone. I thought it was you, John. Anyways, that's good. It stood firm. The house on a rock stood firm. Well, for those who've been to Canada, hopefully you'll recognize that cabin, okay? That's been there for over 20 years. It hasn't changed. Still Satan in the same spot. You know what happens in this spot every year before I get there? I've never seen it like that, but I've seen pictures of areas around there that are like that. This thing is snow-covered, like feet of snow. Feet of snow. Feet. Yeah, feet. Feet. Don't mess with my English. Feet of snow. Lots of snow. And then it starts getting warm. You know what happens then? It all melts. And you know that thing hasn't moved? Over all those years. That rock, it's still the same rock. In fact, there's tannic acid in this water. And it kind of bleaches out. So we know the water levels. We know how high the water has been in the past based upon how white it is. And so it's kind of cool when we go and we don't see any white. That means that the water's really high, you know. And there's like awesome places we can get to. But when, when there's all this white rock, that means the water's really low. And we're not going to be able to get to as many spaces and stuff like that. Anyways... Look where the water level is on this thing. It's pretty high. But that house is what? It's sitting pretty firm. So I want to ask you real quick, looking at this little cabin here, this little red cabin in the woods. Is your house like that? I'm not talking about the house you're really living in. Because honestly, in, in this area, they're building the houses too fast. And you're probably looking at cracks like we have all over in this building here. Okay, And that, that crack means that the foundation isn't really, hasn't been established very well. Okay, that they build too fast upon it. But what's the, what's your what's your life like? What are you building it on? So you're hearing the word of God, and you, if you come week to week, you're hearing the word of God here. But hopefully, you're reading the word of God on a daily basis. But does it matter? Is it one ear out the other? Jesus says, if you hear His words, and you heed them. You do what you've heard. You'll be like that cabin right there. It won't change. You can have devastation all around you. Wait for the next slide. Because Jesus said those, there are those who build their house on a what? An improper foundation. They build their house on the sand. And so... Note the foundation here. Now, this isn't the first picture. I couldn't find the, the ones I have from before this. This is getting into the digital age. So this is 2003. I've seen this cabin. I've taken pictures of this cabin since 1995. 2003, look where this cabin's at. It's on the what? It's on the edge. It wasn't before. Could you imagine walking out that door of that screen porch? That'd be a bad day, wouldn't it? If you were a sleepwalker, 
you better make sure you got multiple locks on that door. Because you might get wet in a hurry in the middle of the night. Not so good, is it? Well, just six years later, guess what it looks like? Now, this is just six years. You, so you hear what I'm saying? I've been taking pictures since 1995 of that thing. Okay? So 2003 was the first one I showed you. When we first saw it, there was a whole lot more space. And the space started eroding. And you know what they did with that cabin? They pulled it back before that 2003 picture. But here we got 2009. Am I right, 2009? 2009. Note the difference? We got, a big, we got a big problem here. Now it's not a matter of worrying about the door of the screen porch. Now it's a matter of worrying about just even going out. <laughs> Note what they've done to the, to the... There's a door in here to get you on the screen porch. Look at that. They had to put a piece of plywood over so that you didn't accidentally go out that door. This is the foundation of that porch. So I drew my arrows here so you can see where the, the door is way back here is where it is here. There's a tree there. It's, the tree's laying down, on the, down in there. Why? Because they built their house on the sand. So what happened in this spot? These, just so you know, these cabins are only about a mile and a half, two miles apart. One's on the left side as we go up river, and the other one's on the right side as we go up river. This one's on a little bit of an island. I don't know if the island's even there anymore. <laughs> Didn't get to go this year. This guy built a cabin saw a spot, saw an island, said what? That looks exciting. Boy, could you imagine the view of that when you wake up in the morning? But what they didn't consider was, what would happen to their sandbar? <laughs> Not their island, their sandbar. Because in the exact same spot, they have what? Feet of snow. They have ice. They have snow melt. It rushes down. I can show you pictures of, of Montreal Falls. It's beautiful. It's awesome. All the water just rushing down. It's just so glorious. But all that water rushing down means it's rushing down through here as well. And what do you know about water that's rushing down when it catches sand? <laughs> kind of rolls it away. That's last year. A year ago. Note there's what? <laughs> not, not, even, not even that anymore. And it's right on the end. That island is almost totally gone. That's why I would have loved to go back this year to see what happened. I mean, I, there's no, there, look at the tree. There's, no, there's only so far back you can pull that thing. <laughs> there's, no, there's no more spot to pull it back. Within five years, where's that, where that cabin going to be? It's <laughs> downstream. Yeah, either at the bottom of the, street, bottom of the river, wherever. It, it's not on that hill anymore. Do you get it? I've been waiting for years to preach this message. You could tell. <laughs> it, I mean, the Lord nailed me with that thing. The minute we were going up river the first time. How stupid. This is a biblical principle. And it was really kind of cold when we went a couple more miles up and I saw the red one. <laughs> I said, yeah, this is it. God, you got it right here. It's all here. Which house are you? What's your life look like? Is it running smooth, steady? I'm not saying there's no bumps. I mean, I get that. That's part of life. But when those trials come, what does it look like in your life? 
What's it look like in your family? What's it look like in your marriage? Does it look like a house that's falling apart? Or is it built upon a rock? Jesus said, based upon all these things I've said to you, the one who hears these sayings and does them, they're going to be like a man who's built his house upon the rock. Trouble sometimes can come, but the day will declare that they built their house upon the rock. But the one who has these sayings of mine, if you don't even have them, if you're not spending time in it, you don't even have them. How much worse is it? But those who have these sayings of mine, and then what? They don't do them. They ignore them. It's like having the guy come to you and tell you, look, you're, you're, you're building on, a, on the middle of a, an earthquake fault, fault line. Oh, that's okay. That earthquake hadn't hit in 40 years. It won't happen in my lifetime. And then next week, what? Boom. That's exactly right. But then it goes on with this next phase. The people were then astonished, astonished at the teaching of Jesus. Because he didn't teach them as the scribes taught them. He didn't teach them like one of the scribes. Rather, he taught them as one who had authority. Authority. Now, this is kind of cool. When you consider the fact that Jesus could teach with authority, first of all, why? Say again? He was the authority. Well, in a sense, yes and no. He was God on the earth, but this is one of those places we're going to play out the triunity of God. Okay? He was given the authority. We're going to play this out. So, the evidence of Christ's authority, let's break this out. Somebody take John 7, verse 16. Who wants to take it? Steve, okay? John 8, 28. Someone's going to take it. All right, Asher, thank you. John 12, 49. Who wants to take it? Gabrielle. Okay, and then Mark, did your hand go up? John 17, verse 8, please. Okay, y'all please just read, read out loud so that everybody can hear you. Steve, let's start with you. John 7, verse 16. Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. John 8, 28. A little bit louder, Asher. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, then you will understand that I am He. I do nothing on my own, but say only what the Father taught me. Okay? When you lift up the Son of Man, you're going to know that I am, I am, and you're going to realize that I only say what the Father taught me. John 12, 49. So I'm not speaking on my own, but God gave me a command, and the Father gave me a command of what I should say and what I should speak. John 17, verse 8. So I gave to them the words that you gave to me. This is kind of an interesting thought, a little, you know, 
again, things that cause my brain to just spin. Okay? Because Jesus says to Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. I believe in the triunity, the trinity, whatever you, however you want to call that, of God. I believe, as uh, the Shema, Deuteronomy 6 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. I believe that Yahweh is one. He is Echad. He is one. Do you know that word, Gerard? Echad? It's kind of fun having somebody else who knows Hebrew here. Echad? One. Do, do you know the difference between Echad and Aleph? Uh-huh. Yes, and so when they count, how do they count? Do they count Aleph, Bey, Gimel? Yeah, it represents the numbers. And so the difference, so Aleph is one singular. Echad is one comprising others. So if I was going to talk about a cluster of grapes, I wouldn't say Aleph, I would say Echad. Yahweh our God, Yahweh Elihu, Echad. Yahweh Elihu Echad. Yahweh our God, is one. But then as we go on, we see in Isaiah 48, and you can check me out on this later, where Yahweh is speaking, all the way from 40 to 48, Yahweh says, I will not share my glory with another. Before me there was no other God, neither shall there ever be any after me. But in Isaiah 48, what we read is that Yahweh says, I'm the one from the beginning, I've been there, I'm it. And now Yahweh Elohim in his Ruach has sent me. In Zechariah chapter 2, Yahweh says, Yahweh Elohim will send me, and I will be in your midst. Yahweh declares in Zechariah, I think it's 12, I'm going to mess this up, either 10 or 12. 12, I believe it is. Yahweh declares that when that day comes, you will look upon me whom you have pierced. Jesus, undoubtedly, in my mind, not because of the New Testament, because of the Old Covenant, because of the Old Testament, is Yahweh. There's no doubt in my mind. And yet, there's Yahweh Elohim, and there's Yahweh, and there's Yahweh Ruach. There's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How that plays out, I don't know. It's really kind of mind-boggling. But what I know, that even within the Godhead, there is this authority structure. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when we're going through 1 Corinthians, we see in chapter 11 that when God is showing us the authority structure for the man and the woman, He first plays it out for us between the Godhead. The head of Jesus is God, the Father. The head of the woman is man. Head of the man is Jesus. Head of Jesus is God. So even within the Godhead, there is this authority structure. And so Jesus, then, think about this. Those who hear these sayings of mine, okay, he's speaking with authority, but it's not, in a sense, his own authority. It is his authority because he's God. But yet, within the Godhead, he has chosen to submit himself to the authority of the Father. Isn't that mind-boggling? And so, when he comes, he says, I don't do anything of my own. I only do what I see the Father do. I only say what the Father tells me to say. Wouldn't that be pretty cool if you could say the same thing? How I yearn for that. How I keep getting in the way. Some of you know 
we've talked a couple weeks ago, I got in the way, man. I, I got rabbit trailed and I started talking about myself. I hate that. I pray that God uses those times like chaff, which the wind drives away. It's his words. It's his works that are important. Speaking of his works, Jesus then says, John 10, everybody turn there, John 10. This is the passage where about I'm the good shepherd. But he says more than this in John chapter 10. Jesus declares, beginning in verse 24, he says, Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, words, and you do not believe me. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one who is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I shown you from my Father. For which of these works do you stone me? Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for... Blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. So, kind of interesting. They understood what was happening. They didn't deny that he did what? Good works. They didn't deny his even his, his words. But they understood by the authority in which he was speaking, and by the authority in which he was acting, which we will begin looking at next week, who he must have been. And they didn't want any part of it. The people, the common man. We're not talking about the scribes and the Pharisees here. We're talking about the people. They were what? They were astonished. Astonished at his teaching. Because he taught as one who had authority. So here's, stop for a moment. I want you to think this through. What was the basis of Jesus' authority? The word of God. The Word of God. Jesus only shared the Word of God. And that was His authority. Years ago, years ago, I got to speak to a bunch of pastors. And I shared with what we kind of do about how at the end we have the question and answer time and that kind of stuff. And people get to ask questions. If I preached heresy, they could tell me I preached heresy. I encourage you to do it even in the middle of the message. Please do. Okay? If I'm not teaching something that's true, it needs to be taught. It needs to be learned. And I remember these older pastors, because there were some older ones there, and they said, are you not worried about your authority being questioned? And I said, I have no authority. They just really looked at me then. Like, I, I'm, I got problems. And I said, tell me, what authority do I have? Because I have a constitution that says I have all power? I can set the budget? We don't have that here. And there's a reason why. Because it's not my church. What authority do I have as the quote-unquote senior teaching pastor of this assembly? The Word of God. That's exactly right. If I'm teaching the Word of God and you question, quote-unquote, my authority, which I don't have, who are you really questioning? God. If you don't like God's Word, it's not about me. It's between you and God. 
But if I read a verse, close the book, and then talk to you about everything I want to talk to you about in a little counseling situation, whose word is it? It's mine. Guess what? It ought to be held in question. Because I'm choosing to take the authority for myself. Jesus, when he spoke, this is so cool for me. This is like, whoa. He could speak with authority. I understand he's God. But again, he's in the fullness of the Godhead is here bodily. Man, he's here in the flesh. And as a teacher, he's speaking and he says to me, and to you and everybody else, I'm only going to teach what? What God says. Talking about expository preaching, huh? Stick to the word and you're okay. But by now extension, that was the evidence of it, but the extension of his authority, Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Many of you probably can quote this. How does verse 18 start? I know you know 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples. What does verse 18 say? Good. Good job, Steve. All authority has been given unto me. All authority. This is Jesus speaking. All authority has been given unto me. Therefore, you go. In John 20, Jesus said, As the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. All authority has been given unto me, therefore go. Make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what? Teach them what, Natasha? Teach them everything I've commanded you. Teach them my teachings. Teach them my words. And what was his words? God's words. How cool is this? Isn't it fun? Do you know what the job of the Holy Spirit is? Jesus said it was profitable for for us, for him to leave, because if he left, he would send us the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? John 14, John 16. Check me out on this later for the sake of time. Helps us to remember what, David? Who said? Jesus. That's the job of the Holy Spirit, was to remind us, to lead us into all truth and remind us of the teachings of Jesus. What did Jesus do? He talked about what the Father said. He only said what the Father said. So the Holy Spirit brings the words of Jesus to us. Jesus tells us to look to who? Not God, the Father. I mean, I get it, yeah. But in my mind, I'm splitting all this out and I'm trying to bring it back together again, right? It's like, woo! Okay? Say again? Yeah, which aspect? This is like, wow, it's so cool. This is so awesome to me. How the Godhead works together as a team in this. But then he has allowed us to be on the team. Do you get it? It didn't stop when Jesus left. Now how does the world hear the words of God? Who should be talking with authority? Us. Not Bob. Not because he's the pastor. I just have the privilege of teaching. You, you, if you know Jesus, (laughs) he's given you the authority to go out and proclaim with authority whatever you want. No, that's not it. You go out and proclaim with authority what? The word of God. 
You've seen it, probably. Whether it's you looking at somebody else or whether somebody was looking at you. People know when you're speaking a message that's what? Beyond you. That's the word of God. When it's your opinion, it kind of drops. But when your opinions, when your insights, bring it all the way back, when your opinions, your insights, your wisdom is built upon the foundation of what? God's words. Then people will look at that house and they'll want to listen. I'm right with you, Phyllis. Think of the red cabin, the green cabin. Which of the two guys are going to go ask for a good spot along that river? you get it? I mean, you ain't going to the green cabin guy. That's all I got to say. You may go to him and ask him for the best spot in the river and then do what? Avoid it. Avoid it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Phyllis. He spoke with the Lord, and he brought them, because he said to them, he says, John, was he of God, or was he of men? And he caught them in their duplicity. Yeah? Because their authority was were. In, in themselves. Exactly right. Yeah. And when that happens, that duplicity goes, it's just gone. But Jesus had authority that was from, from, from beyond him, if you would, from the, the human side. So, how important are the words of the Messiah to you. We've been going through now the Sermon on the Mount. It's been taking us a month and a half, two months to do this. Is it yawners? Is it important? Do you go back and read it again? Do you go back to check it out? I challenge you to do that. We're done with it now. We're going to move on to the exciting part of Jesus casting out demons and healing people and all this kind of stuff. I challenge you. We just went through the exciting portion. We went through the life-changing portion. Jesus is getting ready to, Matthew, if you would, getting ready to testify of Jesus' life. That everything he just taught us was what? Was true. God was on the earth. He spoke some words. And then he summarized it by saying, whoever has these sayings of mine and does them. I think those sayings are pretty important. Matthew 5 to Matthew 7, I think it's pretty critical. Why do I think that? Because Jesus said so. Do you get it? It kind of makes sense. If Jesus thought those sayings of his were critical, then what do I do? I got to think they're critical. Are you a doer of the word or a hearer only? Remember, if there's nothing else, I mean, the word pictures. Remember these cabins. Don't let them lose from your sight. And continually ask yourself, which cabin are you? Which cabin do you want to be? The difference is the narrow path, the narrow gate, and the wide gate. Upon whose authority are you relying? Is your life built upon the rock or on shifting sand? And I promise you again, it's being revealed in your life, whether you know it or not. Because generally, if you're a hearer only, you probably don't know it because you're only deceiving yourself. So if you really want to know it, ask somebody you really trust. 
to tell, ask them, what do you see in my life? And then be ready for the answer, if you really want to know it. Are you following his commands? Are you seeking to make disciples? Is there then a need to change the way you think, and therefore the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. You alone, again, are God. There is none other. You have manifested yourself as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's mind-boggling to me. Lord, I rejoice in you for it. I just, I'm just overwhelmed when I think of your glory. And yet, within that realm, you, you chose to submit to one another. The, the, the Son, speaking the words of the Father, the Holy Spirit, guiding me into the words of the Son. Lord, help me to be faithful to continue that process of pointing people to your message, to your words, that I would be like that city that is set upon a hill whose light cannot be hid, and that they wouldn't bring glory to me, but rather they would glorify my Father who is in heaven. Because it's your words. It's your testimony. It's your truth. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to live lives that are like the red cabin on the rock. That people will want to come to us And they'll want wisdom, Lord, from your word. They'll see evidence of something that they want. And we would be able to point them to you. Thank you, Lord, for John's testimony of how you brought him back to that and gave him the chance to share with that woman. May you be glorified in her life. Lord, I pray that as we have opportunities to sow the seed of your word, that you would give us the privilege of seeing some of it come to fruition. In Jesus' name, amen.